and welcome to another episode of the Rainmakers Fantasy Golf Show presented by DraftKings Rainmakers. My name is Coop. I'll be your host. And as always on Mondays, we've got our recap and preview show. We'll be recapping what was the RBC Heritage, all of the drama that occurred there, and also previewing this week the Zurich Classic, which has some fun team wrinkles, a little bit of an interesting event on the PGA Tour. But first, with me as always on Mondays, I have the boss, TJ. How's it going? Going well. Another fun weekend of golf. Definitely seeing the the fruits of these elevated events, designated events, whatever we're calling them. Another just absolutely jam-packed leaderboard on Sunday, leading to some playoff hole golf between guys that are just both absolutely striping the ball and, and not really making any mistakes out there. So ton of fun. And yeah, I think you can really just see the the excitement of these designated events when you get all of the top golfers playing together. You're just going to get more consistently loaded leaderboards on Sunday, which leads to an overall fun viewing experience and then in turn a, a fun Rainmakers fantasy golf experience. So excited to be talking through all of that today. And as you said, a super unique event in the Zurich Partners coming up this weekend. So that'll be definitely a bit different in a lot of ways in terms of, of rainmakers play but yeah as always on monday ready to break it down and talk some golf yeah let's do it a lot to get to i'll start by saying completely agree with you i i don't want to debate ad nauseum how we got to the designated events the pga tour continues to change whether they're calling them designated or elevated i believe they said they've settled on designated but i don't want to debate how we got to the designated events but my goodness when you get stacked fields and great weekend leaderboards it produces incredible results we get a four-hole playoff to end the rbc heritage between none other than two absolute ball stripers over the weekend jordan spieth who did it completely differently than how he has done it more recently um and matt fitzpatrick who goes on to win captures the captures the tartan jacket uh an event that by all of his own standards said that that was his number one event to win outside of the majors grew up here on this course coming to this course uh, with his family. So was on his bucket list to win wins it on the fourth playoff hole by hitting a nine iron to literally one foot. I thought it was going to go in incredible shot from him. And um, yeah, we're going to get to all of that. Let's start with Fitz. I mean, he is fully healthy and playing some of the best golf that I've seen him play since the U.S. Open. Uh, he gets his second PGA Tour win. He absolutely flushed it with his irons all week, gained 10-plus strokes ball striking, uh, gained across the entire bag. And, man, he shoots his career best round on Saturday, 63 on Saturday, bogey-free 63, to get into the final pair and lead the tournament going into Sunday. But he comes out sort of malign on Sunday. Let's speed recapture the lead. And it's not until the 15th, 16th, and 17th hole that he gets back into a tied position. Actually had a putt on 17 from probably about 10 feet to take the lead. Misread that putt, hit it pretty poorly, makes his par, and then gets into the playoff. Um, and man, he narrowly gets the victory because Spieth, another guy hitting it perfectly all week, had a 12-footer on 18 that 
I'm honestly not sure how it didn't go in. It was pretty much a perfect putt, catches the right side of the hole, almost as best of speed that you could hit it just doesn't fall in. He certainly thought it was going to go in and then also misses a nine footer on 17 on the third hole, the third playoff hole that, you know, you characteristically don't think Jordan Spieth is going to miss both a 12 footer and a nine footer in the playoff. Um, so a little bit un unlucky for Spieth there, luckily for Fitzpatrick. And then on that fourth playoff hole, I mean, he just absolutely flushes a nine iron to a foot. Spieth had to go after that. Couldn't hit uh, a shot on top of that shot. Ended up leaving himself with, you know, 25 plus feet, a little off the green. Couldn't make it. And uh, Fitz taps it in for a very well-deserving victory. Yeah, what a great finish. Comes down to the putter at the end, as it often does when you have the elite golfers going at it. Whoever's going to be able to roll in those putts, especially rolling in the putts on Sunday, especially rolling in the putts on Sunday, down the stretch we saw them play 18 what th three times in a, in a matter of you and they're perfect drives every time all the way to the the end of the fairway right in front of the hazard and then just a matter of who can stick it close and, and make the putt so yeah agreed Fitzpatrick just really a solid golfer always was a solid golfer definitely over the last year or so made very intentional changes to its game in order to hit the ball further as many people on tour have you simply need that 300 plus length on a consistent basis in order to compete in these more stacked field events he gets it done jordan speed had his had his chance definitely was looking for some speed magic expecting him to chip in or do something crazy but just didn't quite happen and another fun element for me as well as two guys that were featured on the Netflix show full swing. So I'm watching it on Sunday and my girlfriend still doesn't care about it, but she at least knows who Fitzpatrick is and knows who Jordan Spieth is because of the Netflix show that we watched together. So yeah, overall just excited about where the state of the game of golf is. And it's awesome to have the masters be followed up with another event that has some big names in it and, and has some excitement. Of course, you're never going to match the masters or, you know, that, that true hype that comes around the majors. But I think that compared to, to past years, I mean, it, it's just not even close in terms of the quality of players that were at the RBC heritage. And as we always see, whenever you have that strength of field, the cream rises to the top. And I mean, you look at that final leaderboard, you've got Fitzpatrick, Spieth, Cantlay, Shoffley, Thigala, right? Like that's the top five right there. All super stud golfers and an up and coming one in Thigala. You have Scotty Scheffler in the mix. You had John Rahm doing his classic, like played horrible and and finishes T15, right? I feel like him and Scheffler are, are always in that camp. If, if they don't play well or don't putt well, they, they oh man, they only get 10th and 15th. So I, I know we're going to talk about Scotty a little bit, but yeah, fun, fun to see. Loving the designated events and for sure the most memorable RBC heritage for me in, in, in many years. Yeah, a couple quick things to to wrap up the conversation on Fitz and Jordan. Fitzpatrick went 63 out of 63 on putts inside eight feet. Just an absolute display with the putter 
the entire tournament. And when you do that, when you gain ball striking like he can, when you're making putts inside 10 feet, I mean, you're going to be in contention to win tournaments and give yourself a heck of a lot of chances. So, um, yeah. And, and the couple of putts that he missed coming down the stretch, honestly, must have been from nine to 10 feet. So that's the eight foot stat there because he missed a couple of nine footers that were just poor reads. And he, he was a little bit dumbfounded. Like I said, gets a little bit lucky. Um, so I think that was an incredible stat for the week. And then Jordan, I wanted to just, hit on the fact that Jordan is absolutely flushing the ball unfortunately not in Rainmakers so we, we aren't we aren't uh, able to use his cards but in terms of daily fantasy golf and and other types of formats where you are playing golfers I mean nobody's nobody's current form uh is is really all that much better even the likes of Rom and uh and Scotty is much better than Jordan Spieth uh, over the course of the last five tournaments uh he he did it exactly opposite as he typically does it typically we think that Spieth hits the ball all over the place with the driver and with the three wood, he uses his exquisite short game to get up and down all over the place, make birdies, chip ins and, and run up the leaderboard. But honestly hit the ball incredibly well at the RBC really seems to like this golf course. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him take a little bit of time off. He did come in saying it was a bit tired after the masters and won some changes in the schedule, but man, he didn't look tired out there. It looked like he was you know, roaring and ready to go. So I'm, I'm excited to see him take a couple weeks off and come back for, you know, maybe an event before the PGA championship, maybe he comes back cold to the PGA, um, but it's going to be fun. And when Spieth is in the mix, golf is just a better game to watch. He's one of the, the most polarizing guys in the game, most interesting guys in the game. So it's fun to have him fully back and hitting it. Well, all right, let's hit on a couple other key guys. Uh, I'll say a couple things on Rory. Um, as we talked about last week, we, we did expect some withdrawals coming into this field. It was such an, and with it being a designated event, a lot of money on the line, Rory, seemingly the only guy to withdraw. And, you know, I won't, I won't speculate too much here. I think Rory as everyone that knows golf knows needs the masters to complete the career grand slam. Clearly the tournament he wants to win the most comes out pretty flat at the masters, misses the cut and golf is a huge, huge, huge mental game. So. I assume that he had put himself through the ringer the week of the masters missed the cut needed sort of a, a bit of time with his team to regroup. And frankly, while I think he cares so much about the game cares about the pit money, I'm not sure it's the top of the thing for Roar, top of his mind for Rory McIlroy worrying about, you know, if he's going to um, make pit money now, doesn't, does it look great? No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't look great for the guy who was wanting to get, the best players in the fields together, you know, eight to 10 times per year. It, it doesn't look great with him withdrawing, but um, you know, I, I'm giving Rory a pass here for a tough week at the masters and looking forward to see what happens when he comes back. And when he plays next, like I said, the PGA championship only five weeks away. And will he play another event beforehand? It will be interesting to watch and see anything yeah. on Rory for you. Yeah, a bit of a bummer to see him not tee it up, but as you said, can't can't blame him too much. I'm curious to see how it evolves over the course of the season with these commitments that guys have made to these designated events. If we see the norm become that it's okay to withdraw for them, if you see people taking more of the John Rahm approach where he won the Masters and came out, said, I made a commitment before the season that I was going to play this event, so I'm going to go play this event. And I also loved his comment around you know, th not just thinking about the commitment he made and about the fans, but about the kids watching. And if he was a kid, he'd want to see the Masters champion out there competing the next week. So just another another check mark for me in terms of the reasons I like John Rahm box 
right there. And, you know, I think he came out, had a relatively flat Thursday, but, but ended up turning it around and, and shooting under 70 for each of the, the remaining three days. So good to see there from Rom. And yeah, with Rory, it's just going to be kind of a wait and see. Can't be super concerned about him. I mean, still certainly a top five golfer in the world. Always has that upside. Haven't quite seen the performance play out on this side of the pond, at least. Had some success over in Europe prior to this PGA Tour season beginning. But yeah, I'd say that's kind of wraps up my thoughts on Rory. I still have a, a Rory rare card in Rainmakers. Have no plans to do anything but continue to fire that into events over the coming weeks and and hope that uh that upside comes to realization and i have a feeling that it will yeah i completely agree one other comment for me on rom incredible to see him jump into the booth <laughs> he even said this isn't my professional job to announce golf but and then he proceeded to basically break down every shot that all of the leaders made on 17 and 18 and give just about as good of insight as anybody could possibly get. I love that the PGA tour continues to lean into this, the player walking talks, the getting in the booth, the being personable and showcasing their personality, both on and off the course, just incredible, incredible entertainment, in my opinion. Uh, so it was really cool to see him do that and awesome to see him break down shots that basically went exactly as he thought they would go. Um, so that, that was fun to see. And yeah, like you said, doesn't play very well, which everyone can kind of understand you know, on, uh, on Thursday and then ends up finishing T 15. Uh, just, I mean, about the lowest of low for Rom is T15, frankly, when he's playing even remotely close to his best golf. Uh, just an incredible player on an incredible run. All right, let's pivot to Scotty Scheffler, who I think is a very interesting golfer to talk about right now because he's got to be in one of the strangest places in golf where the hardest spot on the course for him is eight, eight feet to the hole with the putter. Um, he absolutely stripes it all weeks gains nine strokes uh which all came from ball striking approach and off the tee play but loses over over a half a stroke putting and like essentially still right in the mix with everybody at the top if he ends up figuring out this putter which i'm certain he will do he has the ability to win by 10 plus shots on just about any golf course against pretty much every, any field, frankly. He just hitting the ball so pure that as soon as that putter turns around, it's going to be really hard to chase down Scotty on the leaderboard. What are, you, what are your thoughts on Scotty right now? Yeah, it's one of those trust the process kinds of things. When it comes to golf, putting is always the most variable thing from week to week, from round to round. Scotty can go out one week and be the worst putter in the field. He can go out another week and be the best putter in the field, right? But the guy that's, a hundredth in driving distance is never going to show up one round and lead the field in driving. Right. So that's why, you know, we always kind of zoom out, take a look at the ball striking, the driving, the approach game. Those are the stats that are really going to be translatable and predictable from week to week. The putter putting's hard. It's as simple as that. And you can look at all of the strokes gained and lost putting stats. Another one of the facts of the matters is, is that, you can't lose that many strokes putting if you don't have that many opportunities to make those eight foot birdies. So it's frustrating. I'm sure it's frustrating for Scotty as a golfer. It's frustrating as a fantasy golf player when you're rostering someone that is constantly missing these five, six, seven, eight footers. But 
we've seen that, uh, that you know, that th there's not a large sample size that says Scotty is not a good putter, right? Like he's one on tour many times. He can roll him in with the best of them, has one of the best short games on tour. So for me, it's just a matter of staying the course. And also Scotty seems like one of those kids that doesn't get too mentally rattled. So I'm not really worried about this getting in his head and him trying to change a bunch of things. Uh, I'm sure that he views it as the same way we do. Just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Going to keep preparing the way I prepare. Going to keep hitting the ball the way I hit the ball. And the putts are going to fall in. And when they do, Scotty Scheffler is going to win another golf tournament this year. Another two, three golf tournaments this year. So, yeah, I mean, Scheffler and Rahm are really separating themselves as a cut above the rest of the PGA Tour, I feel like. Because, as we said, when they play well, they win. If they don't play well, they get somewhere in 10th to 15th place, regardless of the field strength. So not too worried about Scheffler. Definitely something worth keeping an eye on and something to be aware of as you're you're thinking through him. But always going to be an instant lock in the captain spot in pretty much any tournament that he's teeing it up on for the rest of this PGA Tour season. Yeah, we're going to get into some interesting conversation here about contest selection across the core, rare, and elite contest and what we saw last week. But I completely agree. If you're holding a ROM, if you're holding a Scheffler, you should be jamming them into the captain spot. But which contest should you be jamming them into? We will get to that. Last player I want to cover, Patrick Cantlay, finishes third again for the third time. I mean, he just loves RBC Heritage. His game is perfect for this place. You don't need to be long, but he is long. You need to hit irons great, but he hits uh, he hits irons great. Pretty much does everything perfect around this place. And when he gets here and doesn't hit a shot or two, hey, uh, you know, wayward and makes a few putts, he's going to win uh, an RBC Heritage at some point in time over the course of the next couple of years. I firmly believe that just because his game is so perfect here and he's such an elite player. But let's just get out in front of it. I mean, Patrick Cantlay is absolutely a slow golfer. He goes through the rhythm. He's on social media everywhere nowadays because it's just so popular to dunk on golfers for slow play on social media. And he's slow. He, he absolutely violates the rules. Uh, he, he plays slow to a T and he continues to play slow. And until the PGA tour decides to enforce these slow play rules, he will continue to do so because there is absolutely no penalty for it. I thought it was insane that there were multiple times he took over a minute to hit like three and four foot putts. And then frankly, what was the biggest eye opening thing to me was in the playoffs when Spieth and Fitzpatrick dropped Cantlay. I mean, it was like watching speed golf. It was totally insane. Fitzpatrick had a 35 foot putt to essentially where he needed to make it because Spieth had 12 feet on 18. And I think he took less than 30 seconds to eye up the putt and let it rip. And Cantlay takes over a minute to hit a four footer that it is still in regulation. So, I mean, there's guys that just play quick. There's guys that play slow. He's one of those guys that plays slow. There's nothing that's going to happen um, to, to him for playing slow until the PGA Tour decides they want to enforce it. But I will say this. I mean, one parallel that I like is the new baseball rules are incredible. The pitcher only has so much time to, to, to pitch. It's an entertainment product. Things are moving. There's always something happening. And I think golf 
will eventually get to a spot where they need to enforce these rules a bit more than they do right now. But until they enforce it, it just won't happen. And Cantlay will continue to do what Cantlay does. Any takes on Cantlay and uh, what your thoughts are on slow play and the PGA Tour? I thought his tweet was pretty funny where he got the hole in one and he tweets out playing faster and a picture of or a video of him getting the hole in one. So clearly he's hyper aware of the perception of him and hyper aware of the social media chatter around him. And he simply doesn't care. Right. So I kind of respect him for that. He's going to keep playing his game and play within the rules. That said, I do think it's an inevitable evolution of the game that some kind of pace of play gets added in here. You just referenced the baseball rules. And I think that that has gone very well to start off the season here. Games are taking a lot faster. They're a lot more entertaining to watch, a lot more reasonable to watch, reasonable to go to, you know, certain things you just don't need that much time for. You see it in poker as well in high stakes poker tournaments. It's common to have a shot clock where people have a certain amount of time to make decisions. They have, you know, little chips that they can use when they have a big decision to use more time. It has to be something that the PGA tour is talking about behind closed doors, looking into thinking about, but that said, it's probably going to be a long process. The PGA tour more so than anything else is a very, very, traditional organization the traditions of golf are very important to them you see it in a a variety of ways with some of the the various rules and what does and does not get enforced but I, i think in order for golf to get to the next level of popularity the pace of play thing is certainly important i mean i guess the one the one argument against it relative to baseball, right. Is that it doesn't really impact the viewing experience that much. Like for the most part, if you're not on golf, Twitter or following social media, you don't really know that this slow play is going on because they're able to kind of dodge around it from a a TV coverage standpoint. So that's one element of it too, but agreed that it it seems like it's going to continue to be a thing. And, Back to my original point about Cantlay tweeting it out. It doesn't seem like Patrick Cantlay is going to get shamed into playing faster. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't, you know, that does not seem to be a thing that is going to happen. But man, it's, it's a lot more fun to watch. Like you said, those two guys in the playoff hole just going up and hitting the ball. I feel like Kepka and Rom were playing the same way, both playing super quickly at the Masters last weekend. And yeah, I, I wish Cantlay would play faster, but also like you can go back to videos from 2019 of Cantlay sitting over a drive and, and doing like no joke, 50 waggles before he hits the ball. So it's not a new thing. It's just, I think getting now that more mainstream attention largely because of what happened at the masters last weekend and then following it up again by being in the final group this week. Yeah, and when you're in the final group, you're just on TV way more often. Therefore, like you said, the viewers are watching pretty much, you know, every one of your shots when when possible. But Cantlay does make it pretty tough. I agree. I wish he would play a little faster, but I also agree he will not play any faster until he's forced to. And yo, shout out to him. The, uh, the there is a player improvement 
program money, pit money on the line. And some of that is social media engagement. And that had to be probably Patrick Cantley's best tweet ever. Uh, when you, when you, when you make an ACE, when you know 90% of the comments are going to be like, the only way you can play fast is if you hit it in the hole <laughs> with your irons. I mean, shout out to, uh, him or his social media team. I actually can't believe that can't lay was behind that tweet but if he was incredible incredible troll job if he was actually you know crafting that from the locker room with his two thumbs uh saying that that was uh that was his tweet that he thought up all right i think we spent enough time on the golfers oh sorry one more one more comment and you you alluded to it i think it was it'll, it is relevant it is also relevant for this week so hit the gala there was a lot of question marks for me, at least, you know, was his Sunday round at the masters, was he going to be able to use that as momentum and carry it forward? He's in another elevated, uh, or sorry, designated event, uh, at the RBC. And he certainly does. He plays an incredible round top five. Uh, his game is coming around. He's played really, really well in the PGA tour. His, his, um, his confidence has to be sky high. He comes into a field at the Zurich that is not as strong, um, as some of these other designated events he's been in, he's with Justin Suh this week, which we'll get into who has been playing really good golf. So I think they are a little bit of a dark horse They're outside of the top three or four groups that could win this thing. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Sahith continue to play well. And uh, I think he's a really fun golfer to watch. He's someone who I've got my eye on as uh, as someone who's going to make his mark here on the PGA tour at some point in time this season. All right. Uh, some quick rainmakers facts uh, related to contests this past week for RBC and keeping an eye on this going forward shout out to the discord guys who've been calling this out uh who've been tracking a lot of this stuff we're trying to get into more contest type information and details to try to give you insights into what you might want to be doing in terms of contest selection so for core rare and elite contests i pulled the cash lines for guaranteed contests single entry contests and pack party contests very interesting nugget in core and rare the cash line for single entry was higher than the cash line for guaranteed. Two things I think happen here. One, there are less spots paid in single entry versus guaranteed, obviously. But I think that proportion makes the cash line go up. But also interesting to me was the top tier golfers, Scotty Schefflers, John Rahm, Patrick Cantlay, Colin Morikawa. They are being rostered more in the single entry from a percentage owned perspective than in the guaranteed contest. So in core guaranteed cash line was 395.5 cash line for single entry was 467.5 and the pack party cash line was 353.75. But the ownership at core for single entry for someone like John Rahm or Scotty Scheffler, Rahm 20% owns and Scheffler 18% owned in core In core guaranteed Rahm only 14% owns. Scotty 15% owned. So we are seeing people jam their best plays into that single entry contest versus trying to say, I'm going to make multiple teams with the best players at the, at the guaranteed level. Cause you can make multiple lineups. So I think that's interesting to keep in mind uh, going forward as we do contest selection uh, for these next couple of tournaments for rare, the cash line, was as follows that so with with those players too it's probably also there's got to be a function of supply in there too right so like if i'm a whale and i'm only playing one lineup in the single entry because i can only play one i want to play my john rom there or one of my john roms there if i'm playing 50 lineups in the guaranteed 
I'm not going to be playing John Rom in all 50 of my lineup. So there could be an element there too of like, there's only a finite number of John Roms and Scotty Schefflers and whoever else out there in existence in the Rainmakers game. And then it's like, okay, well, how are the people that own those allocating them? And I feel like, yeah, it'd be, it'd be curious to know if like, okay, these people that are playing Rom in the single entry, is that the only Rom that they have? Or they have 15 ROMs and they're playing one of them in the single entry and 14 other in the, the guaranteed. I, I know we don't have the answer to that, but it's really insightful for sure. And actually kind of aligns to what we see in DFS as well. Typically in DFS, in single entry contests, you actually see the quote unquote best plays get inflated ownership relative to the 150 max entry tournaments and so oftentimes it actually pays so like it's kind of funny right you think about a small field tournament in dfs or in rainmakers your first instinct is oh i have to beat less people so therefore i should just play the best plays because i don't have to get that different but in reality if everyone is going in that direction now the best plays are actually 30 40 percent owned in dfs compared to 20 percent in the big contest and sometimes in these single entries it actually makes more sense to go more contrarian so it's kind of like a little bit of this brain pretzel but it's something that i've noticed in dfs as a trend over the past like year in particular in both golf and nfl and it's going to be good for us to keep tracking and keep an eye on that in the rainmakers game too and and really you know, because you can't approach every contest the same, right? Every contest is is definitely unique. You have to look at it in the context of the the field that's playing in a given tournament, in the context of the supply that's available for each of the golfers. But yeah, just just kind of some additional thoughts there, and how while at first that's like shocking to me when I think about it, like two or three levels down, it actually aligns pretty closely with what we see on the daily fantasy sports side of things. Yeah. So well said, man, I couldn't echo and add any comments that make more sense than what you just said. So well said, I'm going to jump to rare. Cause I want to get to elite. Cause I think that sort of circles back to your, your comment about, you know, whales and do you have multiple ROMs and multiple Schefflers, uh, but rare guaranteed cash line, 400.5 single entry cash line, 441.5 pack party contest, 312, incredible dispersion there between the single entry and the guaranteed compared to the pack party. Uh, we saw a little bit closer dispersion from guaranteed and pack party and core, but in rare, a bigger dispersion there. I think pack party continues to be, as I looked at ownership, a spot where people are just throwing extra cards. It, it, it is a spot where everyone's just kind of playing extra cards. I think that's pretty sharp. I think the field is pretty sharp there. That's probably what you should be doing. Um, but I think if you're someone who's looking at these pack parties and you maybe need extra elite cards and you have a, a strong rare team, putting a strong rare team into a pack party contest to try to land elite, an elite pack at the top of that contest is pretty interesting to think about. So I, I think that was pretty unique. Um, but I want to get to my point. An elite, it flips. An elite, it flips to sort of the, the more natural logic that you called out. Elite cash line for guaranteed contest was 440 Cash line for single entry was lower. It was 427.25 and pack party all the way down to 303.25. So at elite, 
I think number one, there are less John Roms. There are less Scotty Shufflers that you can play there. There are rares that you can play, but you can't play those rares at captain. And people think, oh, well, if somebody has an elite Scotty or an elite Rom, they're playing them at captain and I maybe I can't beat them, right? I, I can't beat... 1.5 X Scotty score just with just a Scotty, right? I need to make that up to in too many ways. So I'm now not playing maybe some of my rare cards that are, uh, that are the Scotties that are the John Roms up in elite. I might be playing them at captain. So I think that is an interesting to th thing to think about. Um, but you know, the other element here is the cash line for pack party. Again, pretty big dispersion between the guaranteed line and the single entry line. Um, I basically tried to play a, I was going to play single entry this week. I was going to play two. I had two elite teams to play. I was going to play guaranteed and then single entry. And then I switched. I decided to play pack party. Wouldn't have cashed in the single entry did cash in the pack party, but then landed Eric Barnes. And I think that's, you know, something to just think about when you are playing the pack party contest, your, your outcome is you're gambling on what you might get in the pack party. I still think it's a smart play. I still think it's early enough in the season. You're trying to add to your collection, but in terms of trying to liquidate Eric Barnes for real money, probably pretty difficult for me to do. Um, I'm going to look at trying to do that just to see and test the market and see what is out there. But I believe when I looked, his little ask was $32 or something, something around those lines. And frankly, I bet there's not many sales at, at that low ask. I just don't think Eric Barnes plays a lot of events when he does play, they're going to be lower prize pools. Uh, so I don't see that many people going to the marketplace to, uh, to shop for somebody that that's going to be that far down on the odds board. So we'll see, but I think those are interesting nuggets that I wanted to call out and we'll continue to try to get insights into contest selection uh shout out barrick in our discord shout out other members in our discord that are grinding these kind of questions uh and i'm going to go through this on wednesday in a bit more detail taking a look at the numbers for the zurich and trying to uh pull out the insights that i think might make sense for how you should attack contest selection for this week okay we're 33 minutes in we haven't talked to zurich at all let's quickly pivot to zurich a very interesting event on the pga tour it is a team event. So the first thing to note is DraftKings came out earlier today. It's Monday. Contests are just opening up. You cannot stack players that are playing together. So in this team event, there are two golfers that will play the event together. Some of the top golfers are playing together. Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley are the defending champions. They are back playing together. Uh, Max Homa and Colin Morikawa are playing together. They're probably the second favorite. Billy Horschel and Sam Burns, Siwoo Kim, Tom Kim, Sahith Tagala, Justin Suh. You cannot stack up two golfers in one lineup. So essentially, Patrick Cantlay, when you play Patrick Cantlay, he will get the same amount of points that as Xander Schauffele if you played Xander Schauffele. They will essentially be an equivalent golfer. So we're going to see much higher ownership this week on some of these top pairs because there's two sets of people that count for the same score. I think that's just important to note and important to kind of understand going into this event. All right, another thing I wanted to cover is what the heck is a team event and what the heck is the format of all of this stuff? Why are they playing together? How are they playing together? Why does it matter? So there's 81 teams of two in the field at the Zurich this week. They will play two rounds. Round one will be better ball. You might be asking, what the heck is better ball? Better ball is essentially each player plays their own ball and the score that the team records on a given hole will be the best score between the two. So if 
Cantlay goes out and makes a birdie and Xander goes out and makes a double bogey. It will not matter that, that Xander made a double bogey. Uh, they will, they will get a recorded birdie as their score for that hole in round one. They will play the pairings will play better ball in round two. They'll play what's called alternate shot. And this is a lot different than better ball. This is every golfer only playing every other shot. So if can't lay tees off on hole number one, Xander will then hit the second shot on hole number one and can't lay would then hit the third shot and Xander would hit the fourth shot until the ball is in the hole. And then they will repeat at the, in the next hole. So the alternate shot has a very interesting angle here and it's creates a lot of, um, you know, even more variance than we typically see in golf because you're just hitting a shot, you know, every other time and you're hitting whatever shot your playing partner sort of puts you into hitting. So I think it's very interesting. It's going to be a very fun event, but I would say, you know, my two cents here is it's going to be very hard to beat the elite of the elite in this field. It would be pretty shocking if someone takes down, you know, someone from you know, deep into the middle of the field uh, takes down the likes of Cantlay and Shoffley or Morikawa and Homa. So I, I think the winner will come from sort of the top echelon here, maybe the top five groups. But I think as soon as you get beyond these top five groups, it's where you really want to just play for variance. You're kind of betting on the cards that you have. It's really hard to pick who might get hot and you're sort of just embracing variance and you're playing the cards you have and you're sweating the leaderboard as much as possible. That's my take on something like the Zurich, but TJ interested in your thoughts or anything that I might've missed to sort of set the stage for the event. Variance is definitely the name of the game here, similar to the match play where, it's kind of hard to predict what's going to happen. I'd say this is even more so the case. You've got different pairings of golfers playing together. You've got different format of scoring now in, in the Rainmakers game where people are going to be scoring points for shots that aren't even theirs because if their partner is carrying them, they will still get their partner's points effectively. If one golfer is carrying their partner, it doesn't matter. They don't get any extra points for that, right? So... You know, you've got, what's an example? Siwoo Kim and Tom Kim playing together. They're the same golfer in terms of Rainmakers this weekend. Definitely different in terms of, of how you think about things. I think for me, this week is a week where I'd just be approaching the game and the contest with the collection that I already have. I, as we know, I, I like to play the marketplace a bit week to week. I don't know that this is a tournament that I'm necessarily going to go out of my way to make any marketplace purchases for. I'll, you know, if I need to, to fill out some lineups, I'll, I'll definitely do so in that case. But for the most part, not necessarily looking to, to over anchor on this week, just because it is so unique and so different from anything else that we'll see. That said, there could be some golfers that maybe are undervalued price wise this week because they're paired up with a golfer that's that's better than they are, right? So if you have the opportunity to, you know, get get access to Sam Burns through Billy Horschel kind of thing, right? Because the two of them are playing together. And, and you know, th that's the other thing of shopping on the marketplace, right? Is identifying which is the cheaper of the two golfers that are playing together because there's 
at least in the short term, not any point in buying the more expensive one. Obviously, then you get that golfer for future weeks, but uh, you can kind of get the get the cheaper access point for each of those. But yeah, for the most part, just going to be having some fun with this one this week. Going to be putting together or putting to work the collection that I already have and uh, probably spend some time later this week looking ahead to the next week or two to see what we have coming beyond the Zurich and, you know, doing some, some planning ahead from a marketplace standpoint. Yeah. After the Zurich, we have the Mexico open and then we have the Wells Fargo. The Wells Fargo is an elevated event. So we will see a deluxe prize pool there for the Zurich this week. We have a premium prize pool. It's not quite a standard prize pool all the way down at the bottom. It's premium $275,000 uh, in total going out across the, the contest tiers. Um, I think you want to definitely look at the marketplace and look at the cheaper guys. I think well said, I think a lot of people will go out and notice a name like, uh, Joel Damon as an example, or a name like Sunjay M and be like, Oh, I kind of like betting on Sunjay M this week because the field is weak. They won't, maybe necessarily say, okay, Sanjay is playing with Keith Mitchell. What's the price of Keith Mitchell? I'm going to get Sanjay through Keith. Um, so I think that's an interesting angle to play. Um, and yeah, I think it's an interesting week to try to just embrace the variance, put as many teams together as you possibly can with your collection without going crazy and spending in the marketplace, unless you're really buying for future weeks. If you're buying for future weeks, then I think it could be a good time to, to add to your collection. We do have a pack drop this week of note. The approach packs will drop. It will be golfers that are in this field. I believe DraftKings has made an exception that there will be less stinger packs. So less legendary packs based on demand that they've seen over the course of the last couple of weeks. But I, what they did say is they will be adding an approach pack drop to the PGA championship, I believe, which is going to be pretty fun. So I, we're going to be taking a look for the CSVs. I believe actually, as we're recording this at 2 49 PM on Monday, the CSVs just came out. So look for, our pack page to get populated with the information and with the data for which golfers are in these approach packs. Take a look at that expected value. Take a look at the pack simulator to give you a, a good outcome or a good idea of the range of outcomes that you might be getting uh, in this pack. But yo, know, I think one thing is for certain based on last week's pack drop, you'll be able to buy a pack. If you're interested in adding to your rainmaker collection, you'll be able to buy a pack. I do think still for 24 bucks. The rare pack is an interesting one to take a gamble on. Uh, you know, as, beyond that, I think the price point varies based on how much you plan to play, what your current collection looks like, but there will be a pack drop available. So I just wanted to make sure that we noted that. Um, the last thing I have here and something I'll definitely be covering on Wednesday's show, there are 118 Rainmakers players in this field. Like we said, you can't stack the players together, but I think trying to break down those pairings where you might be getting a value, you know, maybe there's a couple middle tier pairings that I think could fare pretty well where it may make sense to make an investment if needed. Uh, the likes of someone like Taylor Moore, who's playing well, plays with Matt Neesmith. You might be able to get a little bit of upside there. Um, I think you're also looking for kind of recent form here. Who's been playing well recently, who sort of embraces this team aspect is there, you know, narrative street for guys that know each other or why, what are the reasons why guys are playing together? So we'll be kind of diving into that a little bit more on Wednesday's show, but TJ, not sure if you have a favorite pair. I guess maybe let, let's um, 
let's take a look at the top and see if there's any reason to to not or which which pair do you like i guess out of the top four or five here it's so hard to not go with Cantlay and xander i think it's you know a they're just the best golfers in the field and they're playing together and they already won this last year so like you know that they have good chemistry for whatever reason i mean just two very very solid golfers morikawa and homa i would say is the the obvious next pair that's close to them it feels to me like those two groups are are kind of in a tier of their own at least from a talent standpoint and it's almost like with the partners match that that there's less variance at the top there right because the chances of one of them birdieing any hole is is going to be that much better when compared to the other ones and then when you get into the alternate shot it really all becomes about kind of eliminating the big misses and eliminating the the big numbers and the big mistakes. So hard not to like Cantlay and Xander at the top. I'll, I'll go I'll go with them as the chalk as my number one selection. But then I'm also intrigued by the the Kim pairing. So Siwoo Kim and Tom Kim. I feel like that's a group that could do some damage. I feel like they they have kind of two different games in a way. Siwoo Kim is a bit more of a high risk, high reward golfer, whereas Tom Kim is a bit more like steady. So I think that that meshes well from a partner's gameplay standpoint. So I'll go with them as kind of my quote unquote dark horse, if you will, still in that top echelon of groups. And then if we look down the board further here, give me Joel Damon and Denny McCarthy, Joel Damon, someone that that always has kind of that upside and uh, has a ton of talent as a golfer, Denny McCarthy, AKA Denny McPutts, always someone that can roll it in from anywhere, which I think is useful in a partner's format and useful in an alternate shot format. So uh, I'll go with those three as mine, but it, it really is hard to to go away from the Cantlay-Zander pairing. And I think I saw someone say they're three and a half to one, which is outrageous if that's, if that's really what the odds are. Someone in chat said that. I did not verify that myself, but uh, I, I believe it because they really are the class of this field. Shout out chat, keeping us updated here. I, I mean, it is very hard to go away from them. You stole my thunder. Very well said on Siwoo Kim and Tom Kim. I love Siwoo. I'm going to keep staying on the Siwoo train. He has, you know, eagle and birdie upside and just about every pin. I, I don't think Siwoo's ever seen a flag that he hasn't just taken dead aim at. And Tom Kim uh, can absolutely just make pars when needed. So uh, I, I think good in this format. Uh, I'll, I'll give one other pairing that I think is pretty interesting. Way down the board but playing pretty good golf Wyndham Clark and Bo Hostler Bo Hostler kind of coming back to life a little bit I, I like the two of them Wyndham can basically bomb it with anybody on tour hits it just about as far as anybody uh, especially just about as far as anybody in this field so you're gonna have distance on your side there and Wyndham, the kind of golfer that can make a lot of birdies, but also make double bogey or triple bogey here or there. So maybe Bo uh, picks him up. But basically, you're going to need a ham and egg kind of pair. And the uh, the Friday and the Sunday rounds, watching alternate shot is when you're going to run into the most chaos, and that will provide the most fun 
for the viewing experience, the sweating experience. Alternate shot is just a fun format in general to play. And then when you watch the best players on tour, try to play alternate shot, play together, talk about team chemistry, things like that, I think is part of uh, some some fun elements of golf. So um, I'll break down more of the pairs on Wednesday. We'd love to know who you guys like. I think this is the kind of week that if you got a gut feel on a guy, if you've been bullish on a guy, you want to jam him into your lineup, jam him into that cap spot go crazy because just about anything can happen outside of the top three pairings i would say here Agreed. all right should be another fun weekend of golf thanks everyone for tuning in and, and make sure you tune back in on wednesday for coop solo show i know i tuned in last week and there was there was some matt fitzpatrick alpha dropped on that show so uh ma make sure you're tuning in because Coop's got the takes. He's going to be spending the next two days really diving into everything, breaking down all you need to know for the Zurich, writing his article. Definitely tune into that Wednesday show. Super, super valuable. And, uh, you know, we, we just get a lot more information between the time we record this one on Monday and, you know, uh, where things sit on Wednesday. So make sure you check that show out. You're making me blush over here. You're making me blush over here, man. Yeah. Lo like, uh, like what you said there, just trying to follow up TJ's two winners in a row from the past couple of weeks. We'll see if he can stay hot. Nothing like picking the absolute chalk, but hey, when the chalk hits, you uh, you can get paid. So yeah, shout out you, shout out you all in the chat. I'll see you guys all on Wednesday. Appreciate everyone listening here. Look for more information about the art on in the article tomorrow that will drop, and then Wednesday solo show. So until then, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week. Mm -hmm.